have all the money that e'er I had. Well, I spent it in good company and of all the trouble that e'er I caused. Alas, it was to none but me. And all I've done, or want of wit, to memory now I can't recall, so fill to me the parting glass. Good night and joy be to you all. A very, very, very special introduction from our very own Mac. Mac Attack. That's the true Mac Attack right there. That was a Mac Attack. Roll you to sleep, and then I pow! Right in the kisser. Right in the kisser. I had no idea he had it in him. I had no idea. This was... All right, guys. Last last episode... Forum. Last episode, we talked about Oneiromancy, and this episode is kind of similar to that, so we're going to talk about Carl Jung. uh, Let's make this a short episode, so... It's going to be like 20 minutes, but it's just about who he is, his childhood, and other things that are, um, I guess, kind of tie into narcissism and psychoanalytic dream interpretation, all that kind of good stuff. So um, this is from um, Encyclopedia Britannica, by the way. So if you ever want to um, look it up again, go on uh, Encyclopedia Britannica, the better version of Wikipedia. Jung was the son of a philologist and a pastor. His childhood was lonely, although enriched by a vivid imagination. And from an early age, he observed the behavior of his parents and teachers, which he tried to resolve. Especially concerned with his father's failing belief in religion, he tried to communicate to him his own experience of God. In many ways, the elder Jung was a kind, of toler- was a kind and tolerant man, but neither he nor his son succeeded in understanding each other. You... Oh, sorry, burped. Jung seemed destined to become a minister, for there was a number of clergymen on both sides of his family. In his teens, he discovered a philosophy and read widely. Or discovered philosophy in general, and he read widely. And this, together with the disappointments of his boyhood, led him to forsake the strong family tradition and study medicine and become a psychiatrist. He was a student at the University of Basel, 1895 1900 and Zurich. MD 1902. <clears throat> Any comments on that, by the way, from you guys? Uh, hey, did you guys know about that? When he was young, he used to have, he used to, yeah, I, I he was, was aware of that. you know, it, strongly religious. It, it, it clearly influenced a lot of his, uh, his, his psychological philosophy. That's the cool thing about um, understanding Jung. He seemed to be more of a mediator, if anything. Between he seemed, the religious and the, in the medical, yeah, not just that, but he also wanted, yeah, exactly. He wanted to, you know, make his dad religious again. That was a very interesting. Well, he kind of he kind of bridges the gap from everything I know about him. Like, there's there's a lot of people who are into the occult that quote uh, Jung. Like, they follow his works very closely, and they interpret things such as shadow work. Um, we've talked about. Um, they interpret that as as being important to their occult 
journey that they're on. Mac is smart because he's already pitching the next episode, which is going to be shadow work. Foreshadowing and the we ta- shadow. And if you were on the um, episode of uh, Doomsday Prepping, we were talking about you're only as good as the word allows you to be, you know, that kind of idea and shadow work and, you know, understanding the negative aspects of your emotions and self. That's something we're going to talk about. So just throwing that out there. Anyway, he was fortunate in joining the staff at, oh yeah, Bergsolzi, Asylum of the University of Zurich at the time, when it was under the direction of Eugene Bloiler, whose psychological interests had initiated what are now considered classical studies of mental illness. At Berg, I can't even say that. I speak a little German. That's uh, Berg, I don't speak Bosnian. Yeah, Bergholzi. Jung began with his outstanding success to apply association tests initiated by earlier researches. He studied especially patients, peculiar and illogical responses to stimulus words and found that they were caused by emotionally charged clusters of associations within, withheld from consciousness because of their disagreeable immoral to them. By the way, that's in parentheses. And frequently sexual content he used the, f- the, new f- the now famous term complex to describe such conditions. As a boy, Jung had remarkably striking dreams and powerful fantasies that had developed with unusual intensity. So I'm just going to s- comment one thing. I think it's very interesting that Jung had a vi- vivid imagination as a child and that he also had these intense dreams and he was religious. I think that's the part that makes Jung more special so there's a kind of a mystic aspect that kind of bridges like the gap, like you were saying, Mac, mm. which always it almost makes him a little a little bit more open. Yeah. So that's <clears> what <throat> I think that makes what makes him special. And I, I think it's I think this is a good point on our uh, psychedelic when we talked about it. I think where we experiences can happen to us, but depending on kind of how you're primed, that's where you're kind of going to see. Like that's how you'll interpret it, depending on what your foundation is. So. Jung having a big imagination, but even more so growing up in a really strong religious family, lends itself to those those dreams and those fantasies being interpreted through that, you know, through a particular lens. Um, and I think that's why he's become so paramount. Because a lot of a lot right now we see a lot of um a lot of people talk about um archetypes. Right mm-hmm. about um the, the you know human archetypes that have existed since like prehistory and they've lied in our subconscious almost like a a genetic memory and Jung I think he was the one that really started popularizing those wasn't he Yeah I think I'll get onto that <laughs> sure, later sure, sure, sure. but I know what you're meaning yeah, uh, what yeah. you're trying to say but um I think the biggest takeaway from this what we just said is is that he is not afraid to take knowledge from whatever source it source it is yeah because I feel. You know, I'm a, I'm a really a religious person, you know, kind of pretty much borderline atheist, but I feel that there are some good ideas from religion and mysticism and the occult, and I think he understood that because he was from a, a religious background, and, you know, it was the 1800s, so it was during the, the period of the Enlightenment and post-Enlightenment, so maybe that strengthened him as, uh, as well. He had a different, um, how do I say it? He was a little... Yeah, a different perspective that was um, <laughs> not he, there at that time. Did he study with uh, Freud, or did I make that up in my head? Yeah, he he was um uh, he, co- he collab- collaborated with Freud. Okay. So he didn't study under him; he was a contemporary. Yeah, so I'm gonna let me just get to well, that. No, now. no, I, I thought I, I missed it. I'm gonna write this. Um, 
<gasps> After his break with Freud, he deliberately allowed this aspect of, aspect of himself to function again and gave the irrational side of his nature free expression. That's what I'm trying to say. That he, he he's allowing the irrational side, not irrational, but I guess the more mystical side for him to, to, to be alive and kind of spread its wings. He's entertaining that side he's, a lot more. Exactly. Though. And rem- remember, we talked about that in the Aristotle episode. Mm-hmm. To be able to entertain idea an idea without accepting it. Well, actually, he's probably accepting it and to a certain extent. But well, it's like, he sees a value in it because Freud's... There's was, a value. Freud's was really anti-mysticism, wasn't it? Like everything has a inherent psychological aspect, which is sex. But <laughs> like it was... Uh, it was very primal. Well, it was primal, but it wasn't... Like the supernatural aspects were not considered at all. They were all, they were all sim- symbolic of something physical and natural. Whereas Jung kind of played more with the... He he let the mind wander a bit more, and he took value in that. But I think he was very, how do I say it, self-aware of himself. That he knew that the the, the re- religious side of humanity, there is a, a, a not a scientific reasoning, but there is a reasoning behind it, right? Now, that's just my idea, the way I see it. Well, a, a practical reason. Rather than, a, a practical rather reason. Rather than just... Oh, An emotional reason, sure. I feel. Well, and part of the human experience, instead of just what was common at that time during the Enlightenment was... Oh yeah, this is just primitive thought used to explain things in the natural world that we don't have science scientific explanation for, and I think that that's an unfair. Even to this day, I think that's an unfair description of religion. All right, let's get let's get all right. Um, at the same time, he studied it scientifically by keeping detailed notes of his strange experiences. He later developed the theory that these experiences came from an area of the mind he called the collective unconscious, which he held was shared by everyone. That's this much contest- contested con- conception was combined with a the theory of archetypes. I, I, see, I got to it. Uh-huh. Archetypes that Jung held as fundamental to the study of psychology of religion. So the, the, sh- the yeah. shared the sh- shared subconscious. That's some fucking. That's some wild shit, man. In Jung's terms, they are terms archetypes or instinctive patterns have a universal character and are expressed in behavior and images jung was good friends with the theoretical physicist by the way this is a fun fact you know from gene because you know i'm the i'm the science guy jung was good friends with the theoretical physicist who first suggested the existence of the neutrino wolfgang pauli and Jung, jung wrote a book on flying saucers in 1959 shit very interesting okay Jung devoted the rest of his life to developing his ideas, especially those on the relationship between psychology and religion. In his views, obscure and often neglected texts of writers in the past shed unexpected light not only in Jung's own dreams and fantasies, but also on those of his patients. He thought it necessary for the successful practice of their art of of their art that psych- psychotherapists become familiar with writings of the old masters. Besides the development of new psychotherapeutic methods that derived from his own experience and the theories developed from them, Jung gave fresh importance to the so-called hermetic tradition. So that's, funny enough, everything that Jung is comprised of is essentially what we have been leading up to. Because we've been talking about Gnosticism. We kind of teased, what's it called, the Renaissance and the Renaissance is related to Hermeticism. Hermeticism and alchemy, yep. So, yep, Hermeticism and alchemy. So, Mac, you're, how can you describe Hermeticism in the most basic terms? 
Um, do you know? Do you know how to define it? Uh, I, I know the the things or my, the the ideas. <clears throat> the ideas, at least, not the def- definition, but so, you know. So what my it, my understanding of Hermeticism is it's kind of the uh, foundation for Western occult and alchemy. It actually precedes both of those, from what I understand, and it's it's core. Like there's a lot of books written about Hermeticism, but its its core doctrine, I believe, comes from the Emerald Tablet, um, which is said to come from Hermes Tri something I'd, which was which is this quasi mythical figure who wrote this, and he wrote a number of things that you see repeated through alchemy, and uh, and and the occult things like the Emerald Tablet contained. Um, it's 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 cryptic, but it also has some general information. So things like the as above, so below. If you've ever seen any sort of occult work, they they reference this as above, so below. That was a good, interesting movie. <clears throat> well, yeah, and that, it's based on that, on the hermetic idea of that, which is basically like the things on earth influence the things in heaven and the things in heaven influence the things on earth, right? Um, that's why in a lot of uh, alchemical... Um, illustrations you'll see things pointing up and down that's in reference to that that phrase um they talk about it's it's really fucking interesting because if i've read the emerald tablet before and so they have almost this like and the emerald tablet is egyptian right uh, supposedly yeah it comes from egypt it's very very old it's extremely old and what what it is is because i know alchemy and like the linguistic terms it means alchemy which yeah, it means comes from the alchemy means the egypt from egypt yeah Hermit is the the, Hermit, the word, yeah. yeah. Her, and the hermet, hermetic comes from the Hermes, right? It's, it's Hermes, the the philosophy of Hermes, the science of them. But they talk about all like so. Their basic cosmology is like, like he talks about the shared subconscious. Is all of us are an aspect of the universe? The universe as we know it. The only thing that's separate from the universe is is the creator. And the creator you could think of in terms of uh, some a dreamer. So all of us, every aspect of the universe exists in this dream, and we're all aspects of the dream. So we're separate, but we're also a part of the same source, right? And so it's the concept of, like, you're getting into reality as we know it is a dream, but we're still bound by these physics. But because we're aware that it's it's, it's really Matrix-type shit, because yeah, we're a sim- simulation sounds like basically yeah. be, because we're aware that it's a dream we can bend this and so there's like the law of polarity right which is the best way to put it is take hot and cold right two polar opposites but at what point on a thermometer does it transition from hot to cold it doesn't like it's just a matter of perception and where you're starting from so if you started at 70 degrees and the temperature dropped to 60 you would say it's it got colder it's a spectrum, completely is, but this is what pisses off a lot of like uh, a lot of the 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 uh, new age new new age people is there's also the law of gender, <laughs> which which is a binary a whoa, binary whoa. oh they get really ups- <laughs> they get really upset about that they're like Hermes we like everything you said but that's that's fucking that's regressive but it's, it doesn't mean like gender and that it just means that there's an equal and opposite force for everything right it's it's the law of binary ones and zeros. Right, um, there's the the law of man. I forget the all. It's been a while since I read it, but the Emerald Tablet is actually super, super interesting. And uh, anybody interested in in anything even relating to that, anything occult, alchemical, even just different religions or something philosophic, you can see a lot of the roots for a lot of different philosophies 
coming from from this work. So it, it's it's worth the read, and it's super short because again, it's just a tablet with like a couple lines. But if you read some of the papers that have where they expand on those lines and they give short theses on, it'll it'll really show you where a lot like it influenced a lot. I I personally I can see influences for. For alchemy, right? Not just alchemy, but stuff in the East. I see similar things to to uh, Hindu and Buddhist cosmology. And, and at their highest mystic levels of different religions, you see it tie into all this stuff. Really interesting stuff, man. Yeah, he, you essentially, you did more than a definition. But Sorry, I'm like, sorry. I didn't know how to cleanly define it, so I just kind of rambled about what I remember. But it's really, it's... We on, should we should on, do an episode on the Emerald Tablet. It's, no, no, we will. That's the whole point. I bring it up. Cool stuff. But he, it's funny that you were on the nail. I mean, you you hit the nail on the head. Hermeticism or Hermeticism is a label used to designate a philosophical system that is primarily based on the purported teachings of Hermes Trismegistus, a legendary Hellenistic combination of the Greek god Hermes and the Egyptian god Thoth. Yep, Thoth. Thoth or Tots? I think I've heard both. I've heard Tot. I kind of want to say tater tot. Thoth. These teachings are contained in the various writings attributed to Hermes the Hermetica, which were produced over a period of spanning many centuries, 300 BCE, and many and may be very different in content and scope. So you, yeah, you were on the on the money, man. And it's funny that Jung is somebody who was studied the Hermetic tradition. So I think the fact that that's what makes him special. Because if he had not learned about any of this stuff with, you know, the early religious teachings or the hermetic tradition, you know, as much, you know, there are some people who are like, we should not learn religion whatsoever. I know some atheists, because I used to be that way back in the day, right? It's like, there's no point of learning religious. It's fake. There's nothing to it. But I think, you know, you know, when you get older, um, I think you become more open-minded. You're like, you know what? what there's some things to be learned from it. Anything. Well, even, even if you, even if it's not like magic, right? Yeah. So, so like in the tablet, again, I, I would need to reread it, but there's things like there's external alchemy and there's internal alchemy. There's psychological alchemy and spiritual alchemy, right? So even something like we talk about that spectrum, the law of, um, of yeah, polarity, right? Same thing as hot and cold. What's the difference between like sad and happy? There's an opposite for every emotion. There's an opposite emotion, right? And there's a spectrum that goes down to it. With the right mindset, you could be at the extreme end of of sad, and still see that as just I'm at currently at a lesser form of happy, right? Mm. I'm at a lower I, the the law of vibration. I think is one too. That's where all the like, you know, the secret, you know, manifest this type. Th- they get a lot of that stuff from. Oversimplified hermetics. A lot of it's just the perceptions. That it's you it's have. very simplified for that stuff. But yeah, it, it's all about perception. But that in itself is an emotional type of alchemy. If you can change your perception about these things, you can have actual. You can control that polarity. You can slide that polarity. And once mm. you can do that by your own will, you are doing a form of alchemy. In yourself, you know what I mean? And that's where, and I'm just using that as an example of that's a form of benefit for religion without necessarily believing the cosmology or the the thought of the afterlife or anything like that. That's just taking it and personally using it to make a difference in yourself, which is like the definition of magic. It's using your will to influence the world around you and within you. So, So you're never like truly in a negative, 
you're just like approaching zero. Mm-hmm. It's it's like of? yeah, it's like it's like um it's 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 all about perspective. So if you're again, if you're is, fucking Is there a negative to it though? In terms of like like is there a negative side like, of okay, the it's spectrum? Like, like you said, you got happy and sad. If uh-huh. you're way over to like the most extreme towards the sad, you're actually not in a negative, you're just maybe closer to a zero rather than Exactly. Max is a hundred. Yeah. You don't ever enter into like negatives. Negatives. Yeah, because then that would be something else entirely. That'd be. I mean, I guess you're dead. Or that's, something. Well, that's that's like <laughs> thinking of the world in five dimensions. We we pro- it probably exists, it, it, but we probably can't it, do it's, it. Yeah. <clears throat> but those are those polar uh, the polar opposites, right? And so, even if you're at zero, let's say you're at dead zero, right? The most unhappy you can be. Because you're outside of it, you can still. I think you're dead. Yeah, probably, <laughs> yeah. If you're zero, you're probably adult. nothing. Well, because that that talks. They also have the law of vibration, right? And so one thing is different emotions have different vibrations attached to them, and so obviously higher vibrations are better. You know, air quotes, better emotions, more pleasant emotions. And as it gets lower, those vibrations get lower and lower. And so yeah, you may have a point. When you hit zero, there is no more vibration, and lack of vibration is. You know, death. So yeah, maybe. Fuck it. All right. I, I didn't know that much. I mean, I oh. know we're not done, but I didn't know that much about Carl Jung before all this. But I think that's. But he's a he's this, a, this idea. And, and by the way, he's not just a random psychologist. He is one of the essentially founders, uh, founders, of founding fathers. This idea aligns so much with my mindset. It's kind of surprising. The vibrations. Well, just because certain people think like bridging gaps in, in terms of like negative. Like I, I've like lost or retracted into something i shouldn't have there's a congeniality I, I it's don't congenial believe that. i believe like even if you're depressed or you're at some like well you, you there's something to, chi- learn, you like there's something to learn from it the, the chung you about the old man that lost his horse no no remind could you remind us well let me pull it up real quick because it, all right while you pull up i'm gonna go i'm gonna keep going okay okay i'll come back to it and this touches exactly what you're, you're talking all about. right he conceived that the christian religion was part of a historic process necessary for the development of consciousness. And he also thought that the heretical movements starting with Gnosticism and ending with alchemy were manifestations of the of unconscious archetypal elements not adequately expressed in the, ma- the mainstream forms of Christianity. He was particularly impressed with, the, with his findings that al- alchemical-like symbols could be found frequently in modern dreams and fantasies and he thought that alchemists had constructed a kind of textbook of the collective unconscious. He expounded on this in four of the 18 volumes that made, make up his collected works. His historical studies, historical studies aim, aided him in pioneering the psychotherapy of the middle-aged and elderly, especially those who felt their lives had lost meaning. He helped them to appreciate the place of their lives in the sequence of history. Most of these... You know... Before I finish with that, mm-hmm. that's an interesting, that's a good way of telling people that their life does have meaning. That the that the place of their lives in the sequence of history. Because, I was, you know, I was reading this on Korra, right? Are some, are, are some human lives more valuable than other humans' lives? And somebody gave an interesting answer saying that, I, that some people, no. Because some people, even if they're like, you know, looking at it from a very classist you know perspective that some that some people have role even if they're not 
seen as valuable, they may have roles in, in history. I'll give an example. The, the, the workers from Chernobyl, right? They gave their lives for, to, to, try to help the, shut down the reactor, right? They're unknown in history. I don't know what their names were, but they did something very important in the history of Eastern Europe and the world. Yeah, I wouldn't put it just to classes, but... I'm just trying to give, yeah. 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 Um, no, definitely. People who are, like, judgmental, you know, who just like, oh, you're not at this level of society. You're not at the, at the echelon. Therefore, your value is lower. Whereas, you know, these people, you know, all those rich people in whatever, Ukraine or Belarus. Well, some of them are just plain destructive. <laughs> you're right. Mm. It's hard to judge. It's really hard you to know, judge. I, you know, that's what I'm trying to say is that people... They base the value on a human too much and what they own, and I guess rather than their role in society. And the role well, in society is not is almost like you can't really control that. Well, t- if you're you, looking at today, a lot of people just base it off of superficial stuff. Yeah, I mean, like there's you might yeah, you I mean you are making history whether you like it or not. You know, you are a part of this sequence of history right now. This Smoke, little piece, smoking crack, making history. Well, yeah, for the crack for the for the crackheads, you know, hey, hey, but what if that crackhead talks to somebody and tells them, "Don't be a crackhead," and then, "Don't be a crackhead, kid," and the kid gets so paranoid about not being a crackhead that he becomes a thermonuclear astrophysicist, says some wild stuff that just inspires the next no, Einstein, or, at least, or or not even inspire him, but just tell him to stay away from drugs because I'm showing you that it's really bad. And that person, they realize, okay, I'm never doing that because I'm freaked out. There's got to be the crackheads. Here. Right, there, there is that. <laughs> I, I, I like how you put the, right, I that up. The crackhead. I got the chung you, man. I got the idiom. It sounds very naively optimistic now that you've, you've said it. But I am saying that there is a chance that there is somebody out there who they touch someone's lives indirectly. I've seen enough crackheads that I know. Like, okay, I'm not going to be. You know, I talked to a crack. No, hey, I talked to a crackhead in the woods. So I, did I, I tell you about crack? that? I talked to a crackhead in the wood. His name is David. Did he like tell you don't be a crackhead? No, but he. Um, when I looked at his life, I'm just like, I realized yeah, how. Sometimes how it, I, mean, I realized how good I have it in life. Yeah. I realized how good I have, and it I mean, changed some, me a, some a bit. Some people need to see that perspective to be inspired or pushed to do better. Uh, you no, know, because I was complaining about me having. No, I was I was working at the airport, right? And I was complaining about how much I fucking hated my life and stuff like that. And then I'm like, damn, th- I know this guy. And he said it to me. Hey, man, I chose this. I chose to be a crackhead and, and, and fuck up, right? And I have I don't have my kids anymore. And that's what he was telling me. And I was mm. like, and I was thinking about this. And I was like, like, I really am complaining about first world problems. When this guy, he had the um, unfortunate circumstances that he was born in, I guess, and uh, he had a personality in which he was more likely to do drugs because of, you know, I don't know. I don't want to make it like a, like a too much of a divine thing where it's like, oh, he, he couldn't control that. Cause he said he could, you know, I, I could get sober whenever I want to have done it. He told me that specifically, I guess I'm trying to say is that, um, I don't know. I don't, there could be worse times in my life. You know, I could choose to do drugs and then yeah. fuck up my life. I mean, yeah, That's what I'm trying to say. If you're super down and out in life and then you no, have, an, I know have an experience like that, it kind of puts it in perspective. No, because I know some people who they have a lot of potential, but they don't want to do much with it. And they start doing a lot of alcohol and drugs. And, and I'm like... You know what I mean? It's, Absolutely. It's just that's the way I see it. That he had that. I'm not saying I'm going to do something great in life and then like change the world, but I mean, we all do something for each other in a weird sense. You know what I mean? 
there, there's, I mean, even with that, there's a spectrum. There's multiple sides of that. There's people who think like, yeah, I need to try that kind of stuff just to experience life. Oh yeah, 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 stupid too. Anyway, um, did you find the horse? I found the horse. You found the horse. <laughs> All right. So this Chung Yu, this uh, Chinese idiom, Sai Wong Shi Ma, basically means uh. The old man, the old frontiersman lost his horse. And the story behind it, because all Chinese idioms have a little story, super quick rundown, is Chinese man, he's got a, he's got some horses. One of his horses runs away. All his neighbors come up to him, and they're like, oh, man, that, that's some shitty luck. And the old man's like, yeah, you know, maybe not. Next day, horse comes back, and it's got a got an extra horse with it. So now he's got two horses. And, uh, and the old, you know, all his neighbors are like, wow, that's really great luck. And the old man's like, well, you know, maybe not. Next day, Chinese man's son is trying to tame the the wild horse, kicks him off. He busts his fucking leg. He's, you know, crippled. Everyone's like, oh, that's such terrible luck. Old man's like, yeah, you know, maybe not. Next day, the army comes recruiting for, you know, a male from every household, and they can't take him because he's crippled so his son doesn't die in the war. And everyone's like, wow, what great luck. And he's like, yeah, you know, maybe not. Moral of the story is a really Buddhist lesson, which... Ties a lot into that. Something was stoic. That that idea. Well, that. well, that's what I'm saying. It ties into stoicism, which ties into the hermetics to the to the Emerald Tablet. Is that it, it's that there is no good, there is no bad. All good things have the potential to create an opportunity for something bad, and all bad things have the opportunity to create something for good. Life is like a wave, and it's only if you isolate one single event and you look at it from whatever perspective you're looking at it. That you say, oh, this brings me discomfort, so this is bad. When it really could be setting you up for something much better. But that good thing could in turn set you up for something worse. It's like somebody who wins the lottery, and then they fuck it up, and they're in greater debt than they could have ever imagined, and they end up fucking shooting themselves. You know what I mean? Like, it, it's very Buddhist. to You try to look at the entire picture. Cause and effect is constantly happening. There is no time when this one thing is good, this one thing is bad. And so, like you were saying, how that kind of appeals to you. Like, that's that's how I got into the Emerald Tablets is because it was so, I was reading about it, and there was something about it that was so interesting. So I I, I read it a little more in depth. There's the Emerald Tablet and the Kabbalion, Kabbalion, which is an accompanying text. And, yeah, when I read that, I was like, man, there's a lot of, there's a lot of fucking truth to that shit. So Yeah, the way I see it is for those people who are, like, hardcore atheists, I'm like, you have to see it from more of a traditional aspect that these teachings or philosophic. Should, yeah, philosophical too. A traditional slash philosophical or aspect. Um, that these are good teachings, whether it comes from something old like mythology or religion, shouldn't matter to you. Knowledge is knowledge. If it's good, it's good. That's what that's the way I see it. And I think that's what makes Jung special. Is that he for a lot of the people scientists at this time, they probably laughed at the the ideas of the hermetic tradition, right? But Jung, he said he was open-minded enough to think that these things have lasted for a while and they have some truth to them. Mm. So apply some of this knowledge to better yourself and better the field of psychology, you know? That's the way I see it. Did, so did he ever speak on any ideas related to like depression and things like that? Yeah, yeah, of course. He he had his own what, ideas of what, depression. What was that? I'm just um, this is going to be an open Pandora's box, so then we're going to talk about depression. So I, I, do, I just briefly, I just, I'm just curious. Summarize, summarize. Yeah. Summarize? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> well, I'm curious. No, too, but obviously he did. Exist. He had he had ideas. I know he does because he's a pioneer. He talked about dreams. I think he talked about dreams being an outlet for depression. Like if you have a dream, 
A but, dream. but everything back then was like a neurosis, wasn't it? Like different neurotic expressions of, of such and such. Like it, it was. It was really I don't want to spoil the rest of the episode, okay, so sure. that's what. Let me. Let I'm me gonna f- take a piss real quick. You guys go ahead. All right. right. Most of the, the these patients had lost their religious belief. Jung found that if they could discover their own myth, as expressed in dream and imagination, they would become more competent personalities. He called this process individuation. In later years, he became professional of psychology at the Federal Polytechnical University in Zurich, and professional of medical psychology at, at the psychology at the University of Basel. His personal experience, his continuous psychotherapeutic practice, and his wide knowledge of history placed him in a unique position to comment on current events. As early, of, as, early as 1918, he'd begun to think that Germany held a special position in Europe. The Nazi revolution was therefore highly significant for him, and he delivered a number of hotly contested views that led him to being wrongly branded as a Nazi sympathizer. Jung lived to the age of 85. <laughs> that was an interesting way to end the episode. Yeah, right. <laughs> okay, and he was accused of being a Nazi. I kind of hate how we how we always bring up Nazis. We bring up Hitler in one of the, the second or third episode. But anyway, um, that it just that's his life. Essentially, that's all I want to tell you about. Essentially, that's something I think is neglected of Jung. You, his mystic, his uh, religious, hermetic, alchemical, symbol, symbolical significance in the psychology and the bridging of the gap between these two ideas that's the whole point of bringing this this up because i want to talk about final part in the series where we talk about the psychoanalytical perspective of dreams so that's why i bring this up after that also the reason why i bring up hermeticism is because i want to talk about apollo zeus and hercules that's the myth that we're gonna bring you know bring up again so everybody, I think that's interesting how he wanted to give people a sense of meaning when they, they create their own myth. And their own myth is their own, I guess, um, story. So I think that's something interesting. Um, it's a very holistic view of things. Like not just, oh, this is religion, this is psychology, this is science, you know? Yes, it's, it's holistic there, in that there is a uh, uh, There is a convergence to a certain point, to a certain degree. I wouldn't say fully, obviously, well, no, not not a convergence as much as holistic, meaning that there's multiple systems going on simultaneously, which which affect people. You know what I mean? Instead of just one or the other, or there has to be a convergence, you can have layers to things occurring at the same time that make like a com- complete person. You know. And by the way, for those people who wanted to know about Carl Jung's depression, I'm I am. Uh, intentionally holding off because i wanted to make that another episode because remember during with um my cousin you know i talked i talked with him about depression the um he is a neurologist he wants to study neurology neurology um that's an interesting aspect tying it with, with jung so i wanted to have him prepare something and then we can talk about that from a mystical perspective and then the obviously the modern scientific perspective so that's why I intentionally am not going to talk about it. Hopefully, we can get him on because he's a lot more. He's a lot more of a secular person who's more scientific, and I think we can bring on an ideological and philosophical perspective and kind of bridge the gap and kind of talk about um, maybe Carl Jung's perspective on depression, and then he brings like a modern secular scientific perspective. Fair enough. Because I think per I think depression isn't 
it's a large topic. And remember when we did that uh, topic with him? That was it took like not two hours. We were talking about depression. Just back when we had the long, long episodes. Right? Yeah, we're not doing long episodes anymore. And I think it's because people lose interest really quickly if you do something that long. Yep, we're keeping it. Short let's let's be years. honest. Let's be honest. People got the attention of a fly of a fly nowadays. Because <laughs> you know why I got it too, man. I watch a video. I'm like, damn. If it's f- more than five minutes, so I want to just click just off. Punch you in the face with dopamine. Punch, yes, punch, punch. I want to punch you in with dopamine. Well, we want a, you to be able, want nice, to, be able to binge. Unless it's like Elon Musk. No, because too much fluff. I feel like we did too much fluff back in the days. We're not about that if, anymore. If, it's, if we're interviewing somebody, and there will be, just so you guys know, but interviews are different. Interviews might yeah. be a lot longer. Those will yeah. be longer because we're yeah. taking advantage of the opportunity. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So that'll be like two or three hours, I imagine. There's be. a lot to talk about with depression. Just the, uh, yeah. you know, why people get it with the clinical versus um, situational depression that we talked about with him. And it's something, it's a very universal topic. That's why I like this topic about dreams and the mysticism of it. I think people can somewhat, that's what I'm trying to do. Kind of get a topic that people can somewhat, um, I guess, sympathize with. So, yeah, that's going to, hopefully it happens. If it doesn't, we're going to have to find someone else because he's always busy (laughs) with work. We can find someone. We'll find someone. But anyway, um, that's that's the end for the episode. That's all I have to say. Um, do you want to shout out social media? Uh, at Wine Jar Cynics on all social media, no matter what you use. We're on most, if not, not all of them. We're on BitChute, we're on Gab, we're on Twitter. If you want, yeah. Um, and by the way, for those who are wondering, why are you on Gab and BitChute, right? Because it's the future. Because we're going to explain that on the Watchdog segment, I mean, on we, tech we, cynicism. I mean, we might all have different opinions on that, but yeah, we'll explain that later. Well, we're, we're, yeah, yeah. Um, also, yeah, watch out our new channel on Odyssey. We have two channels so far. We have um, it, the Wine Jar Cynic segment. Yeah, that'll be the easiest to comment on or any, YouTube. Of, any of our episodes. Are we be, doing, we're doing YouTube also. Yeah, YouTube. We're doing YouTube also. BitChute, Odyssey, if you want to comment yeah. on what you hear. Shout out to the, the one episodes. Indian guy that commented oh, yeah. on our YouTube video. <laughs> yeah, he's nice. <laughs> cool, cool guy, man. The first, uh, first comment. First comment. Yeah. He said, thank you. I'm like, yeah. thank you for what? <laughs> no, no, no. Thank you. <laughs> no. no, I was wondering what he was thinking of us for because I thought it was like a, a spam comment for some reason. <laughs> what was hey, his name? I remember. I'm a, I'm a cynic. Remember that. that. So what, I thought it was a bot. What was his name? I, it, it I think like, it was Gotami. Let me was look it Gotami? I do want to give him an official shout out. He's the first. He deserves a little bit of recognition. And um, yeah, on um, even on Bitchy, we haven't had a comment. We That um, episode on the Watchdog segment did okay. So Oh, um, shout out to also the... Um, the Spaniards and the Peruvians. We love you guys. Our international listeners. Maybe we'll do it. If, if you guys bring your friends, if we see it jump up to like five, I'll learn. I'll start learning Spanish. I'll start <laughs> I will too. I Casti- will. Castellano. And we're the wine jar cynics. I know there's good wine there. Yeah. Go, go, yes. thumb. We drink. Yeah. yeah go, thumb. Go, thumb. Dick sheath. Dick sheath. Wine jar cynics for taking your time. I don't know how to say it. I'm sorry. I apologize, man. I cannot. Let me, let me see. Let me see. Go, Tom. It's yeah. How do you pronounce that? Yeah, that's kind of how. I'm sorry. We we don't we don't speak any Indian languages. We don't speak Hindi. We don't speak Hindi. I'm sorry. Uh, He might not even be Hindi. It could be Uh, no, but that looks like a. I'm sorry. Stop laughing, you son of a. Deek sheath. 
Deek Sheath. Okay, he said for okay. Thank you, Wanjar Cynics, for taking your time. We have the dialogue and uploading op- uploading it. Very well done. Good luck. And this was on the. Uh, that's what he said. Stoicism. Yes, oh, he did. Thank nice. you. That's really. Yeah, yeah really no, he's, a, he's a nice guy. guy. He's a nice guy. Correct us on how to pronounce your name. Yeah, we really well, do yeah. not know. Can we post this episode on YouTube? Of yeah, course. Yeah. Okay, just for yeah. him specifically. <laughs> I'm gonna post it on. Please for help him. us with the name. Correct we're us this on. on the we're gonna put this on. Okay. I'm sure, we're butchering it. So if you're on YouTube, I'm gonna put this specifically for the YouTube audience. If you. We're going to put on the main episodes, the, uh-huh. the ones we think are essential. Yeah. And then if you want to look at all, all our other topics, because we have a lot more on the, uh, Red Circle and Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Yep. Go to... Yeah. We're everywhere. Yeah. Go on those if you want to listen to our podcasts. Because we're going to put only like general, I guess, topics on YouTube. Tell your friends. Tell your mother. Share tell us, your please. Father. We... Tell like, you make your children listen to us. We're better than public school. The, the New Year's resolution is we're trying to get what? to a thousand. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, share, subscribe. Hate to say it, but yeah. Like, share, smash subscribe. that like button. <laughs> smash that like button. <laughs> but anyway, um, that's it. You don't want to be, be cliche, but it you is want me to sing is. out or we sing out? Do? Sing out. Okay. <clears throat> the wine's kicking. Oops. Fuck. The wine just kicked all over me. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, you're good. I'm. I'm gonna ignore it. We'll clean it later. All right. Here we go. That's, that's maybe you, maybe you had too much wine on you, we man. Yeah, you adding, we wine. Just, we need wine splatters everywhere, which is adding character to this makeshift studio. Yeah, there's, there's wine blood <laughs> everywhere. Oh right on your phone <laughs> too, like by the way. My, hands are hands. so. <laughs> all right, all right. Just sing your song. We gotta. Have all the comrades there I had. They're sorry for my gone away And to all the sweethearts There I had They would wish me one more day to stay But since it fell into my lot that I should rise and you should not. Well, I'll gently rise and softly fall. Good night and joy be to you all. Give me a fucking towel. Jesus Christ. Parabellum. Parabellum.